This is a workshop meeting, and we hope that by asking questions, you will better understand our program. Okay, um, for, so I'm going to qualify now. For those listening to the podcast, please note that you can now attend the kitchen sink meeting via Zoom while the stay-at-home order is in effect in Los Angeles. Go to LAOA, <clears throat> I'm sorry, go to OALAIG.org for login information. Okay, let's get it started. Hi, everybody. I'm Sue. I'm a compulsive overeater, restrictor, and orthorexic, and I'm your leader for this meeting. I'm really grateful to be here with everybody today. Um, I'm just going to take a second. I'm just going to actually take a second before I say anything else and just take a nice slow breath. It's like big recovery for me to slow down. I, when I used to hear other people lead, anytime someone would take a second and just breathe or like collect their thoughts, I was like, what are you doing? I, I couldn't understand that. Every time I used to lead, I would want to cram everything in I, as, I could, you know, as fast as I could. I didn't want anyone to miss anything. I wanted to tell you everything. And that's super stressful and unmanageable. Um, so part of my living amends to myself these days is to really slow down and to just breathe um, and to, to just sit in that, like, this is not going to be perfect. I'm not going to tell you guys everything, and that's okay. Um, and I'm also going to ask my higher power to speak through me. I heard someone say that very early in my recovery, and I was like, you can do that? Like, I just didn't know. I didn't know you could do that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to ask my higher power to speak through me and help me be of maximum service to everyone here today and everyone listening on the podcast. I, uh, I was asked to speak in January and, um, I have a chronic illness. I was really sick in January and I was like, let's push this out a few months. Let's push it out to June because in June, everything is going to be so much easier. Everything's going to be like so much more relaxed and chill so that's a nice little note on our best plans. <laughs> um, this is not a chill time. This is a very intense time. And I think that's why it's so special that so many of us are here in this meeting today. Um, for me, when things get really intense, self-care is the first thing to go. Um, I don't mean to do it. It feels like, how can you do self-care? It feels, to me, it feels like irresponsible to do self-care right now. It feels kind of insane. It feels like, would it even make a difference? The answer is yes. I found that out. I found that out by not doing self-care for about a week, like the last week. And everything kind of went to hell. Like I, my body broke down. I felt a lot sicker. Um, I was exhausted. I was not showing up um, in the ways that I want to show up right now. <clears throat> And so um, I'm, really, I'm really just grateful that all of us are taking a moment for self-care right now. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read today's for today because it just feels like something to read today. June 6th, if you hate a person, you hate something in him that is part of yourself. What isn't part of ourselves doesn't disturb us. Herman Hess. If I were completely self-accepting and at peace with myself, I would not be disturbed by another's words or actions. 
When I examine my dislike of certain individuals, I am startled to find that the characteristics I am least tolerant of are those I hate in myself. It is particularly upsetting to discover that I can feel this way even towards someone very close to me, a spouse, a child, a dear friend. Progress in the OA program of recovery gives me increasing self-acceptance and a growing tolerance of others. I know, however, that perfect acceptance at all times is not possible. What is possible is to grow in understanding and in the ability to acknowledge my feelings. For today, I freely admit that certain persons arouse strong feelings in me, but I do not have to act on those feelings. Um, just wanted to read that. I, you know, when I came into this program, I, I really thought I was a victim in a lot of ways. And, um, there were certain people in my life that I thought were monsters. You know, when I came into this program, I thought my mom was a monster and I was a victim. Um, there, you know, when I did my first fourth step, for those who are new, a fourth step is when you write out all of your resentments you have against anybody, and then you write out why you were disturbed and you write out your part in it. Um, I was shocked to find out that I have a part in things. <laughs> you know, I came into this program, I think I was 32, it's about six years ago. Um, I thought I was really self aware. And there was so much hiding behind <laughs> behind this veil that allowed me to see myself as a victim. I um, I guess I'll go back a little bit, but I just want to say, like, if nothing else, I'm so grateful to um, that my awakening in this program has allowed me to see the truth about myself and my part and to liberate myself from carrying around this haunting feeling of shame because it's like, I knew on some level that was not the whole story, you know? And I think um, I hid from a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts because it was too scary. I thought on some level, consciously or even unconsciously, I can't handle that, you know? <clears throat> That's kind of the thesis of why I ate compulsively and why I dieted compulsively and why I exercised compulsively. It was a way to put the focus on something else because I didn't want the focus on me. Um, <clears throat> for me, you know, the, the compulsive behavior started really young. I mean, I can remember being at a birthday party. I was probably like five or six. And they cut the birthday cake into these tiny little squares. Just who, who would that be enough for? I don't know. I still to this day don't know. <laughs> My recovery is one day at a time. I still haven't figured out the tiny cake square. But like at five years old, I knew that's not going to be enough. We're going to have a problem. I knew I couldn't take more than everybody else. I knew at that age that was shameful. I, want, I think I tried to like create a diversion in the other room to get people to evacuate so that I could secretly get more cake. It felt high stakes. It didn't feel like the stakes were a birthday cake. It felt like the states, the stakes were like me getting my basic life needs met. Um, so that started early, you know, and then um, like in the big book says, I had periods of time with the illusion of, um, of self-control and um, 
you know, I marinated in a culture that told me there was something wrong with my body. I marinated in a family that had been raised to think there was something wrong with their bodies. It's like, who knows, who knows all the factors of why I became a compulsive eater. It's not, I'm not entitled to know that doesn't really matter. Um, but I am. And, uh, you know, what it often looks like for me was eating to the point where I felt sick. Not necessarily, I wasn't like the 5,000 calorie binger. I would eat, you know, a tofu scramble or, or whatever, so, you know, a, a salad, but eat it to the, I would feel myself being full and keep going. And then, you know, or eating a pint of ice cream. And, you know, in my 20s, it was like, well, I'm not eating the whole pint. And then in my early 30s, it was like, well, I'm not eating two pints. <laughs> Guess that's something. <laughs> and then it was like, whoa, how far are we going to take this? You know, um, my weight only ever fluctuated within 20 or 30 pounds. And part of that is because of a medical condition I have, you know, so it wasn't obvious to me. I never thought I had an eating disorder. I thought you had to be on the far ends of the spectrum. Um, to have an eating disorder. Never mind the fact that I was going to the supermarket, telling myself, do not buy the ice cream, and then telling myself, buy the ice cream. It's going to be different this time. You're going to put it in a bowl this time. <laughs> and then buying the ice cream, going home, and then at like the, the last three bites of the pint going, oh my God, how did this happen again? I don't understand. I'm a smart girl. I'm hardworking. I I'm an overachiever. How, why can't I figure out this ice cream thing? And then the next, and then like the next day or two days later, I would go to the supermarket. Don't buy the ice cream. Hey, you know what? Buy the ice cream. It's going to be different this time. I mean like insanity. Um, but it wasn't an eating disorder. It was just like all these weird days I was having thousands over a lifetime, but not an eating disorder. Um, and then, you know, I had a lot of trauma in my 20s. Um, a lot of us have had a lot of trauma. Typically, you don't show up here because things are going awesome. Um, and like, that is when my eating disorder flourished. You know, I was diagnosed with a rare condition. In my early 20s, it was, um, I became newly disabled. Um, a four-year end relationship ended. It was like a lot of things at once. And I could barely walk but I could make it to the Whole Foods to get the things and then eat them in my car. Um, and then my weight started going up and it was sort of like, I, I was like baffled by the connection of that. I was like baffled by the fact that like you eat food until you feel sick every day and then something changes with your weight. Like it was, I was just um, stunted in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, and then I had some hardcore trauma in my late 20s, and that was when I gave up on God. And I actually remember the moment. Um, I had a medical procedure, and it was truly horrifying. And I remember thinking, I don't think I gave, I don't think I like consciously said like, that's it, God, I'm giving up on you. It was just like, there is no God, because how could this happen? You know, Um and then my eating disorder really took off and it's not a mystery. I gave up on God. And so I got my nourishment from other things, you know? Um, my partner at the time was an alcoholic, but we didn't know that for the first five years of our relationship, he was just Irish. So, um, 
didn't seem like a problem. And then we kind of caught on that he was an alcoholic. He went to AA. He started getting a lot better. And not just the fact that he wasn't drinking, which was a miracle, but his whole life started getting better. And I was like, what is that about? And I actually thought, like, God, I wish I had an addiction so I could work these steps. That's the amount of denial I was in. Um, I actually, like, I had a friend who was in NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and we talked about it. And I was like, forward me, like, a PDF of your steps, and I'll work those steps. Like, that's how little I understood the assignment. Um, Very quickly, I was like, oh, that's not going to work. And I I read through the whole intro to these Narcotics Anonymous steps, and I was like, get to it, get to it, get to it. And um, and then it said, there's no wrong way to work the steps. The only wrong way is to do it alone. And I was like, oh, God, come on. I was so mad. Um, and then it, it started to be more clear to me that I had a problem. I had an exercise obsession. I wasn't the girl exercising at the gym for five hours. I was the girl thinking I have to exercise today or I am worthless and oh no, my body hurts and I'm tired. I don't think I can, but I have to, but I can't, but I have to sobbing, sobbing on a floor where there was no actual problem. That was me. Um, and so I went to my first OA meeting. I couldn't find it. I thought that was God telling me I did not need OA. And then this um, lovely woman who is a friend to this day, she was like, are you looking for the OA meeting? And I was like, oh, God, she knows. And she took me in. And I thought everyone was going to be like, oh, sweetheart, you don't have a problem. We have problems. Look at us. And that didn't happen, of course. Um, People spoke their truth, and I sobbed. I sobbed and sobbed. Um, Because people were saying things out loud that I didn't even have the courage to say out loud to myself. Um, And that was really the beginning of my awakening. I have learned and grown so much in a way. And I think like, you know, working the steps, working with the sponsor, working with sponsees, going to meetings, allowing God back into my life. It's truly changed my life. I, I didn't want to kill myself before I came in, but I was at a point where I didn't understand how to keep living. I was in a lot of pain physically. Um, that's part of my uh, medical stuff. And um, food was what I had. That was the thing I had. And it was like one day, that was part of what helped me go to OA. One day I was in so much physical pain and I screamed out, I need a grilled cheese. And then I was like, wait, why though? Like, what, like, what is that going to do? And then what, what happens after that? You know, um, I was really spiritually bankrupt. I was, I was living in a paradigm. I thought I came in and I thought I had no faith in anything. And what I learned was I actually had faith that the world was cold and dark and cruel and didn't care about me. Um, you have five minutes. Thank you so much. Um, and it was suggested to me that, you know, maybe I could just act as if I believed in something else. Um, and so I faked it for the first year. I, um, I would say like, okay, wizard in the sky, help me stop eating like this, I guess, you know, it wasn't, wasn't very, um, elegant, but it was enough. 
when I came in like, and people would talk about having 30 days or six months of abstinence, I was like, you must be different than me because I can't go a day. I really thought I was the hopeless case. And that, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why it gives me so much joy to be here talking to you guys, because um, it's, you know, God willing on September 1st, I'll have six years of abstinence, six years where I haven't done the things that I could not stop doing. If you are doing something with food or your body that you do not want to be doing, you're in the right place. And if it feels impossible, I just want to let you know that what you think is possible has no bearing on what's actually possible. I am doing things every day that I thought were impossible and not just around food in my body. I have a relationship with my mom today. You know, working the steps allowed me to see her as a person. Um, I discovered, you know, enlisting my part, my character defects um, in my fourth step, I discovered that self-abandonment is sort of like a through line, self-betrayal um, in my life. And actually there, there's just like a, a quick sentence and, and this is the AA 12 and 12 in step eight where it talks about, we talk about, you know, going back over our work of the first seven steps and making sure we did a good job. In the big book, it says, we are building an arch through which we will walk a free man at last. So we want to make sure that our craftsmanship has been good. Um, and so this is talking about going back through our defects. And it says, we can go far beyond those things which were superficially wrong with us to see those flaws which were basic. Flaws which were sometimes responsible for the whole pattern of our lives. That really rings true for me, you know? Self-abandonment, um, which for me means putting other people before myself, putting what I think other people need, what I think other people want from me. You know, I heard someone say, you're not who other people think you are. You're not even who you think you are. You're definitely not who you think other people think you are. But that's what I thought. I was obsessed with um, trying to make sure everyone thought I was okay. You know, I was obsessed with gaining certain career goals, um, having a body that looked a certain way, having uh, relationships that looked a certain way, getting certain people to like me. These were all vehicles I thought for self-love. A neighbor of mine won a golden globe a couple years ago and I was seething. And I was like, okay, you don't do that thing he does. Also, you don't like crowds. <laughs> like, why would you want that? And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous because he can relax now because he's enough. He hit the bar, the, the bar that's constantly moving. <laughs> he hit the bar so he can relax. And I just heard this voice that was like, girl, you can have that today if you want. You know, um, I, this, this program, I work in this program, um, and in Al-Anon, which this program helped, helped me see that I needed to go to that program has helped me befriend myself. I was on anybody's team, but my own, you know, now I do things like when I feel feelings, like I'll put my hand on my heart and I'll say, I'm sorry, you feel sad. I'm sorry. You feel so scared right now. I'm sorry. You feel hurt. Like I would have rolled my eyes hard at that, even a couple years ago, you know, and um, my time is, is going to wrap up, but I'll just share like, 
the last three years have been the most painful of my life by far. I was very, very, very sick. I still am sick, but I'm doing so much better. I couldn't walk or read or lift my head or really speak very much. Um, and I thought I was dying and, um, I couldn't do anything to earn my worth. I couldn't do any of the things that I used to do. I could not people please. I, people had to do everything for me. People had to wash my hair for me. I mean, I couldn't do anything for myself. I, I spent most of my time laying flat and just slow breathing. Um, and I had a moment where I was like, you can't do anything for yourself. So you can hate yourself or love yourself. So you time up. Thank you so much. I'll wrap it up. Um, you know, it makes no difference to anyone else if I decide to love myself. I think I had so much shame that I've been unpacking. It felt irresponsible to love myself before I had achieved certain things. And so like the food, the maintaining the body, it just felt like a way to achieve that. And, and you know what, like that's a rat race. That's, it's, it's a losing game. And I finally learned that. Um, and so I'm, I'm learning that like even even when I don't feel self-love, I can act in self-love. And every time I feel my feelings, process them, have connection with others, connection with myself, connection with God, I'm giving myself what I really wanted all along. I'm giving myself what I thought was in the food. That's a lot to ask from a grilled cheese, by the way. <laughs> it's just grilled cheese. And now like, I can actually give myself the medicine that I want, which is connection and belonging and being on my own team. Um, and so, um, so life is better than it ever has been, even though it's really hard. Um, and uh, I am letting in a day at a time, a higher power that I do not understand, but I feel in moments. And I'm just so grateful um, for all of you showing up. You know, if, if, we, didn't, if we didn't show up, this wouldn't happen. Um, I'm grateful. And um, happy to be here. Thanks, everybody. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, if you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I will call on you and you can then unmute and ask your question. Okay, let's go with um, Marilee Ann. I hope I'm saying that right. You're saying it the way it's spelled, not the way I pronounce it. Okay. Anyway, specifically, I mean, you've indicated, as I hear, that you tend to be speedy and do a lot of things. And then you talk about not being able to physically do anything. Um, how did you make it through all those minutes and hours? Yeah, that's a great question. I sometimes ask myself that now, like I'm far enough out of the darkest woods that I'm like, oh my God. And you know what? I, I think um, an important thing to say is that I did not know how I was getting through that as I was getting through that. I, I sobbed every day, like hard. And I would sometimes scream at God or just like into the void. Like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to get through this. And while I was doing that, I was getting through it. You know, um, that's one of the biggest 
gifts that I've learned is you don't have to know how to get through something to get through it, you know? And I, um, for me, um, I really, things got so simplified and it became very clear to me in that moment. And I was like, please retain this in case you do live through this and become healthy. The only thing that matters is loving people and helping people. I mean, it just was so clear. And so, um, you know, everything that I was so panicked about, about people thinking things about me, about my career, about optics, you know, it's like none of that actually matters. And so I really just sunk into, oh, this was one thing I did actually. I sometimes had this process of um, where, and I still do it when I'm brave enough, where I, I write to God and then I ask God to write back through me. And um, I remember at one point, I, I mostly, I spent a lot of time begging God to make me well, and that didn't really get me very far. And so then at some point I wrote like, like, how the hell am I supposed to do this? And um, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. And God wrote back through me, um, life is not yours to understand, but it is yours. It's yours to experience. Um, and then And then God wrote... Um, just find the beauty, find the love, find the joy, find the laughter, find the support and like put your little, you know, paddle in that and row yourself with that. And so that's something I still pray every morning. I get up, I ask God, please be with me today. Please, um, guide my, my thoughts, feelings, and perceptions, guide my words, actions and beliefs um and help me help me see the beauty help me see the light help me see the love help me see the opportunities and the miracles um and at that point the miracle was like when the tree next door sprouted a purple flower and i was like oh my god (laughs) yes it was like the tiniest things it was like yes a little bit of beauty i found it you know um And uh, my sponsor would say often, I would just call her and sob. And she would just say, you can't look at the whole mountain. Because I knew it was going to take me years to recover. If I did recover, I'm still recovering years later. And she was like, if you look at the whole mountain, it's untenable. You really have to just look at today. And often for me, it was like, let's look at the morning. How are we going to get through this morning? And so, you know, this time in quarantine, I actually feel like remarkably qualified. I already was barely leaving my home. Um, and not doing most of the things that I wanted to do. And so, you know, I learned how to just anchor myself. Um, Let's pick one thing to do this morning, and that's going to be the thing. And really just to, um, to apply love, to put my hand on my heart, to say, I'm here, honey, you know, to give myself the things that I didn't have from my parents growing up. Um, and, I'll, and in that, to create a higher power that worked for me. My idea of a higher power, when left to my own devices, is a punitive God that wants to trick me into doing something bad and then punish me. And as a consequence of that, like when I was sick, it often felt like actual torture because of that conception of God. And so it really forced me to say, what if it's not that? You know, um, what if God, I heard someone say this, what if God is the boat and not the storm? And so um, I just, you know, a moment at a time. And here's the amazing thing. If you just outlive whatever it is, it will eventually be Tuesday. 
it will eventually be September. You don't have to do that. That part just happens for you. And so, you know, I actually marked on my calendar May 14th, 2020, because that would have meant um, two years in intensive treatment. Um, and two years rolled around second by second. And I celebrated on that day because I was like, you made it, girl. Not done yet. Probably going to be another two years, but I made it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers that question. Um, Julie Taylor. Thank you so much. Um, could you, you mentioned orthorexia. Could mm-hmm. you talk about that? I'm not real familiar. And, and was that like your gateway disease or did it appear later? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. I know I, I often forget to talk about orthorexia. It's not something people talk about a lot. Orthorexia is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. And so for me, you know, as someone who has um, a severe chronic illness, there are, there are diets that are recommended for this illness. And also eventually, like, I just became um, allergic to so many foods because my immune system is compromised and goes kind of berserk. Um, so early on, I had to have a restrictive, like way before program, I had to have a restrictive diet because of my health. And then that turned into like a fear of having anything outside of that. And even when I was doing healthier, cause it's kind of gone up and down over the years, you know, in my late twenties, I was pretty healthy for me. And I still felt like, like I had to adhere to this really strict food plan. And then also it was like, I want to, I need to get as much nutrients as possible because I know my body needs the protein. I know my body needs, um, you know, plants. And so it would look like binging on spinach. Like I had to have like at least two cups of spinach because I needed to get all those nutrients. So like I was visiting my mom at one point and she had eaten some of the spinach that I had bought. And like, I looked at her like she killed a person. (laughs) I was going to say a dog, but like a person, like I was just like, how could you do that to me? Like it was so out of proportion. Um, I panicked. Like if I didn't have protein for a snack, I panicked. I thought the consequences of not having a perfectly balanced meal or snack would be fierce and immediate. Like it just got, it turned into an obsession like anything else um, in this program. And so, and it led to both binging and restricting oddly enough. Um, And so, and especially in Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles as a city is kind of orthorexic. (laughs) There's a lot of juice cleanses and like things for like, you know, healthy stuff that um, is really just a form of restriction and perfection. And so um, it's something that like is, is kind of, it's hard to be a sick person with a medical diet and not become a little bit orthorexic. So it's something I just have to manage a day at a time and, and know that like, it's something, it's something I just have to live with, you know, and it's not like with alcohol, how you can just put it down and just avoid it. You know, it's a blessing and a curse probably that we have to, we have to have food every day to live. And so because of that, we have to have um, a connection to something greater than us every single day. So for me, that that's kind of like, that's a, that's a daily reprieve that I have to keep working for. Uh, Ruth G. Hi, thanks so much for your share. Um, Two questions. One, what does your daily review look like if you do that 
And two, um, have you ever had a healthy relationship with exercise? Thanks. Yeah. Um, my daily review, I am very imperfect at, and it, it's gotten really skimpy over the years. And I actually just, I'm doing like an independent big book study right now. And I was just reading, I think I have it here. It's actually like in the big book and into action when they're talking about the 11th step, they kind of like go through 10th step. Um, and I just started doing this at night, like just like within a few days. Um, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? I love that question. That's page 86 on the big book for anyone curious. Um, so I just started doing that. Um, and it's good, you know, I think like not doing a 10th step at the end of the day is like one final way of checking out that I was kind of hanging on to. Um, and so it feels, it feels good to up my game a little bit and do that and just get honest. Um, and so, and yeah, exercise. So for me, exercise was one of the most fraught relationships I had, um, in this program, like even well into abstinence, I was still doing the thing where I was trying to figure out if I had it in me to work out and sobbing. Um, I, I was wearing a Fitbit for a while and my sponsor was like, Hey, for someone who is a compulsive exerciser, maybe a device that literally surveils your every move is not the most loving thing. And I was like over my dead body. And I had a real miracle where I took a ship, uh, a, a ship. I took an airplane to Chicago and I, changed right before I left for the airport and I got to the airport, sat on the plane and I was like, Oh my God, I don't have it. And it was terror, disproportionate terror. It was like, Oh my God, how am I going to know how, what to do this week in Chicago? I mean, that's how, that's how much I was letting that run my life. Side note, you know, I, I had a sponsee um, who also used a Fitbit and also was a compulsive wear. She weighed herself a lot. And I was like, you know, if you have these devices that are telling you if you're good or bad, and they're telling you what to do, then you don't need a higher power because you got one. And I, as I said that, I was like, oh, damn it. I'm going to have to listen to that too. Um, so, so that's how I gave up my scale. <laughs> um, that's why sponsoring is one of the reasons why sponsoring is so amazing. Um, but so, yeah, I forgot it I, on the plane and I panicked. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do all week. And then what I did all week was enjoy my friends and like go to a wedding and live my damn life. And it was so liberating. And it was like just enough time to get me out of the withdrawal. And it was a total miracle that I really feel like that was God doing for me what I could not do for myself. Um, and then like, you know, the orthorexia extends to exercise for me too. I felt compelled to do a certain amount of time, certain amount of reps, things like that, very compulsive. And so I started to actively act, like take contrary action. I would make myself do an 11 minute workout because I thought that was a stupid number 
and it was too short and like what it's like not even like so many things wrong with it I would make myself do that so that I could see like nothing happens you know and and um I would make myself skip days I, I got to the point where I was like if there is a debate in your head about whether or not you should exercise and it feels even a little bit intense you don't get to exercise you don't get to I have to be the loving parent that's like sorry honey it's not gonna happen um you know, I, I heard someone say, oh my God, this blew my mind. I heard someone say in a meeting, exercise is like sex. It should feel good and you should want to do it. And I was like, what? I was like, that blew my mind in terms of exercise and sex, to be honest. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> who knew those were rules? And and it really, you know, that is a big part of the, um, the living amends to myself for the self-abandonment is like, if we don't want to do it, we're not going to do it. Sometimes you got to make yourself, you got to push yourself a little bit, take a walk around the block, you'll feel better. But I'm not, I'm no longer going to crazy, you know, I mean, I also lost the ability to exercise that, that kind of helped kick it up. But, um, you know, before I was severely disabled, I was going to spin classes and all yoga classes that were not really about yoga. They're really about like attaining a certain body. And, um, the thing that really helped is, um, I actually started, I, I, with a friend, we made it our goal for the year. It was like 2015, 2016. We're going to learn every Beyonce dance this year. And we hired a teacher to teach us. And then eventually I started teaching a Beyonce class to just non-dancers, people who just wanted to like shake it for an hour and pretend to be Beyonce. And that felt so good. And I was like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I mean, I would sweat my ass off and, and work really hard and it felt really good. Um, and so that became the new bar for me. It should feel good and you should want to do it. And it takes discipline to say, if it doesn't meet those two things, we're not going to do it. So your time's um, up. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'll, I'll just wrap up and say, um, you know, the arc of my recovery has really been towards being a loving parent to myself. And like, you know, I came from chaos and I think the orthorexia especially was me, the pendulum swinging all the way to rigidity and thinking that that was recovery from chaos and really rigidity is just another form of chaos for me. And so structure with flexibility feels like the happy place in the middle and that feels that feels loving to me and so I think like when in doubt what is the next right loving action that's kind of the compass for me now okay thanks so much